You're listening to Along the Narrow Way, a podcast that walks you through books of the Bible verse by verse to help you dig into God's Word so you can walk along the narrow way with Christ more faithfully. Hosted by Pastor Will Russell and co-hosted by Jimmy Miller. Join them as they help us understand the Bible so we can walk more faithfully as disciples of Jesus. We've been studying the Gospel of John, Jimmy. Yes, sir. And uh, we've made it to chapter 12. So we're going to be in John chapter 12. We've, we've been studying the Gospel of John. We've seen a, uh, through the miracles recorded and the works that have been revealed, the deity of Jesus time and again, time and again. Um, we just finished up in chapter 11, seeing one of the greatest miracles recorded. Mm, yes. And uh, the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. Yes. And um, as we closed out chapter 11... Um, the chapter mentions that the time of Passover was nearing and many of the Jewish people were entering Jerusalem Mm -hmm. and they were asking, I wonder, is Jesus going to come? And the Pharisees and and all the Sanhedrin had issued uh, kind of a proclamation. If anyone knows where Jesus is, you need to turn him in. And so that's how chapter 11 ended. Is Jesus coming to Passover and the authorities are looking for him? And that's where we pick up there with chapter 12. So let me start reading here in John (laughs) chapter 12, verse 1. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box. And he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always. But me you do not always have. So let's pause right there and just kind of start hashing through what we're looking at. The time for Passover is drawing near. That's a celebration that happens. People flock to Jerusalem for Passover. Many uh, historians believe that there could be as many as a million people in, in Jerusalem and the surrounding villages during the celebration of Passover. Mm. Uh, pilgrims would flock to Jerusalem. Jesus comes to Bethany, which is a village just right outside of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really what, what we would call a suburb of Jerusalem is how we would describe that. Yes. And uh, this is the Bethany he was at just previously, Um, in chapter 11, where he raised Lazarus from the dead. Um, But Jesus, you remember, he raised Lazarus from the dead. He did what he needed to do there. And if you'll remember, the Bible says Jesus left that area. He traveled north to a place called Ephraim. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of on the edge of kind of the wilderness territory. Mm -hmm. he was there, as far as we can tell, just him and his disciples doing ministry. When you look into um, the Gospel of Luke, you find out that he did make a trip into Samaria and another trip into Galilee during that time. Mm-hmm. But other than that, he kind of stayed away 
Um, I believe probably because the time for his death had not yet come, but the, the kind of the hostility towards him had become so vehement yeah. that he knew if he went, the timetable wouldn't fit God's plan as far mm-hmm. as the time for his crucifixion. So he's staying away. But here in chapter 12, he comes back to Bethany. It's six days before the Passover celebration, which tells us this is right at Passion Week where he's going to enter Jerusalem in the right. last week of his life. That's right. Okay, so that's kind of the time frame we're looking at here. <laughs> so Jesus comes into Bethany and it says they made him a supper. Um, that is, they had a meal in his honor, mm-hmm. uh, kind of hosted a dinner party in his honor. Now, we don't read it here in John, but in Matthew and in Mark, we read that this meal took place in the house of a man named Simon. He was called Simon the leper. Mm. Now, here's the thing. For a leper to actually have a house and for people to come into that house, he wasn't actually inflicted with leprosy. That's right. Because lepers had to stay away from the community. Mm-hmm. They had to declare themselves unclean. The fact that he has his home and has a dinner party tells us that he must have been one Jesus had healed. And they yeah. knew him as Simon the leper, yeah. the one Jesus had healed. So it's in Simon's house that there's this dinner party. Yeah. The Bible says Martha's busy serving. Now, Jimmy, do you remember in the Synoptic Gospels, this happened one other time where there's a dinner party Jesus is at. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus is there. Mm-hmm. And Martha's serving, and she gets angry. Yes, she does. Do you remember that? Yes. Because Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mary's just sitting there. And... Martha's doing all the work, and yes. she finally gets frustrated. Yes. And she finally goes in there and says, Jesus, Martha's just sitting around, sitting here by you. I'm doing all the work. And Jesus rebuked her. That's right. Because she was so consumed with the busyness, she was missing the blessing of sitting at his feet. That's right. In this instance, Martha, here again, is busy serving. But in this whole text, you're not going to see her rebuked at all. No. Not one time. Um, and I want to draw attention to that here in just a minute. I'm just pointing that out now. Martha's serving. Lazarus is reclining at the table with Jesus. So he's there with Jesus. This is the Lazarus who was resurrected. And then you find here, we read that Mary uh, anoints Jesus. Yes. So let me, let's point out a few things. Um, this was probably not Martha's home because... Matthew and Mark point that out, yet she was still busy serving. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's important to remember. This service that she was doing was service that she was performing for Christ because she loved him and wanted to honor him. That's right. The first time you see this happen where she's rebuked, she's just busy for the sake of busyness. Mm-hmm. It's at her home, she's hosting everybody, she gets so busy, she misses the blessing. <laughs> Right. She misses what's important. This time, it's not even her home, but she has such a love for Jesus, she wants to honor him and serve him. The only way she knows to honor and express her love is by serving Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so now she's busy serving Jesus with the right heart for the right reason. Well, amen. And there's no rebuke. That's right. There's two. Dis- so when you start looking at the Bible in its entirety and you start piecing it together, you start to see the big yes. picture. So Jesus does not rebuke Martha because he recognizes she is serving me now with love because she wants to honor me. That's right. Well, there are people in the church, Jimmy, they serve. But they serve kind of with a bad attitude. They serve because they feel like they have to. They serve just because it's what I do. I have to get it done. But that's not the example we see here. 
Here we see a lady serving Jesus simply because she wanted to honor Jesus out of love. Amen. So there's the heart of service. Also, it's important to note that they're all gathered together for a dinner party. That's right. I don't know who all was there. We don't have an entire list, but there's a bunch of folks. Mm -hmm. Now, chapter 11 ended with the Sanhedrin, the religious ruler, saying, if anyone knows where Jesus is at, you better turn him in that we may seize him. That's right. So all these people are going against the dictate of the Jewish (laughs) authorities. That's right. They are. So they're meeting with Jesus in violation of the dictate of the Sanhedrin. That's right. Their love for Jesus was greater than their fear of men. They, I think they even forgot about it. They I probably didn't care. They didn't even think about it. Yeah. They're in the presence of Jesus. That's they don't right. have to worry about that's that, right. right? That's right. Well, so that's what's happening. But the main focus, the main focus here on this section is Mary. Yeah. Because Mary anoints Jesus. Mm-hmm. It says here she anointed his feet with costly perfumed oil. That's right. And uh, washed his feet with her hair. So let's, let's try to break that down a little bit. Some Bibles will call it nard. Some will say spot nard. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a perfume, and it is made from a plant you find in northern India. It's very expensive, especially in days where commerce and travel and shipping take a great deal of effort and time. This was a very, very expensive perfumed oil. It wasn't just common. In fact, we find the description of its value, 300 denarii. Mm. That is approximately one year's salary. So Mary takes a vial of perfumed oil that would have cost an average person a full year's salary. That's what she has, and she has it in an alabaster jar. That's a very costly container. So Mary takes the alabaster jar and breaks it. We don't find that out in John. You read that in Matthew 26. Mm -hmm. She breaks it. Basically showing I'm pouring all I have out upon Jesus. I'm not reserving any. I'm not withholding any. It's all his. The container can't be used again. And so she pours all that she has. She makes a costly sacrifice financially to anoint Jesus. That She's giving all she has financially basically here mm-hmm. in a worship of Jesus. She anoints him. John talks about anointing his feet. When you read the synoptic gospels in Matthew and Mark, Matthew 26, Mark 14, you find out she anointed his head and his feet. Mm -hmm. She pours this perfumed oil on Jesus. She pours it on his feet, and then she uses her own hair to Mm. wash the feet of Jesus. Now, we need to pause there and consider this because for most of us, Rubbing our hair on someone's feet is kind of like, ugh. <laughs> but in this day, it was even more, uh, yeah. because this was something that only the lowliest slaves would do. Yeah. Washing someone's feet was so degrading that only the lowliest slave of the household would wash feet. And when someone would come into your house to visit you, you would have someone wash their feet, but it would be the lowliest person in the whole household that would do that. Here Mary is washing the feet of Jesus, taking the lowliest position you can have. And not only that, but letting her hair down to wash his feet. So she's putting herself in a degrading position to worship. And she's letting her hair down in Jewish culture for a lady to wear her hair down was shameful. Yes. yes. So she is 
actually <coughs> doing something that would bring shame upon her so that she might worship Jesus. Mm. What we see in Mary is she had such a heart of worship, such a love for Jesus, that she was willing to sacrifice financially. She was willing to be degraded. She was willing to let shame be brought upon her because nothing matters except worshiping Jesus, that's loving Amen. him. Amen. And that's what you see in her actions. Amen. That's what you see. So we read, well, Mary anointed Jesus and used her hair to wash his feet. Well, there's a lot of significance there. Yes, it is. Martha poured out of her heart to serve Jesus because of love. Mary sacrificed and belittled herself, bowing before Jesus to worship him out of that's love. Right. Both worshiping Jesus as their heart led them to do. That's right. And we don't read it in John. Once again, synoptic gospels tell us that Jesus says, look, this woman is going to be remembered always for this. That's right. And here we are today, reading about her, talking about her. This sacrifice and act of worship she performed still testifies to her today. That's right. So we see here Martha serving in love, Martha sacrificing in love. Lazarus, you remember what he was doing? He was just reclining at the table. He was just reclining at the table. Yeah, yeah. And you think, well, wait a minute, Lazarus. <laughs> one of your sisters is serving. One of your sisters is sacrificing. What are you doing? He's resting. He's resting with Jesus. That's right. <laughs> I think he's resting in Jesus. That's right. Here's the yeah. one who's been resurrected from the dead, called forth out of the grave, That's rescued right. from the grave. And what does he want to do? Spend time with the one who's called him forth. It's a lot and, of, he's with him forever. <laughs> so... Here in, these, in this family, two sisters and a brother, here's what we see. When we have a heart for Jesus, mm -hmm. we'll serve him with love. Right. We'll sacrifice and worship him in love. We will spend time just in his presence because we love him. That's it. And I like to focus on the pot. It's kind of symbolic of our, we're willing to be broken for Jesus sure. and pour our whole selves out. That's a good point you because know. she poured it all out and didn't reserve anything. Because you know, that's what he did. He broke himself and poured all of himself out and she was... They just already, she just already got it. That's right. You know? <laughs> That's right. And so when we truly come before the, before the Lord and we truly want to pour our heart, before, heart out before him, whether it's through service or worship or spending time in his presence as a form of worship, we empty ourselves out before the mm -hmm. Lord. We mm -hmm. don't reserve. Mm -hmm. We don't have that little hidden room in our heart. We say, you're not welcome here. No. We open up all the doors to our heart. We pour everything out. That's right. That's, that's true love and true worship of the Lord. We don't want to serve like Judas did, just doing it to help ourselves. Mm -hmm. Because that's what he did. That's right. Well, let's, let's go there because we read that. <laughs> Judas here uh, kind of gets sideways about it. Yes, he does. He's, he raises a stink. He's like, well, hey, now, why wasn't this sold? I mean, if you sold this and got us a year's salary, boy, we could help a lot of poor folk with that now. <laughs> and we see a contrast between self or, or selfless worship and selfish desire. That's right. Here you have Mary who is selflessly pouring out worship to Jesus, and you have Judas who is selfishly looking out for himself. That's right. You see a great contrast here. That's right. You see Judas's selfish desire, and it stands out. Yeah. It stands out because it stands out because here Mary is selfishly sacrificing and worshiping. Judas was driven by selfish greed. That's right, he was. He was driven by sinful desire. That's right. The reality is, the reality is, um, I'm just going to close my computer up there, Jimmy, because I don't even see our link. So the reality is, 
the heart of Judas is seen. Yes. Maybe not by all the disciples immediately, but Jesus. That's he right. knows his heart. Oh, yeah. He tries to disguise his selfishness in this philanthropy. Oh, we could help the poor. Look what kind of oh, good, yeah. good. But Jesus knew what he was up to. You know, now it's kind of interesting, Jimmy. These are the first recorded words of Judas. Yeah. These are the very first recorded words of Judas. And it's him raising a stink because he's a crook and he wants to get the money. And he's mad because he's not going to get the money. That's right. You know, um, he was angry because he lost an opportunity to get his hands on a whole lot of money. He did. He That's did. what he was upset about. He did. You know, and Jesus called him out for it. kind of a rebuke right here. He's oh, like, sure it he's is. He's like, leave her alone, you know. That's exactly you right. You know, and I, I put down some reason why I think he said it like this Okay. He said, you know, he says, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For And he's saying this to Judas now. He's like, for the poor you always will always have with you, but you do not always have me. You know, and I and I put down some reason why I think he said it. You know, for the, for the saved person, yes, we'll always have opportunity to do good. But we, you know, but we, but we don't always, it, we, we want, we don't want to waste time not doing God's will mm -hmm. and doing good. Cause you know, Martha was serving and doing all mm -hmm. that stuff, but at one time she was not focused on right. Christ. So we don't want to be too busy. We want to be mm -hmm. focused on what God wants us to do and the opportunities that he opens for well, us. Well, Jimmy, the truth is this, in our lives, there's always good we can be doing. Yeah. There are always opportunities. The question is this, which opportunities are the ones God is directing exactly. you to, to be a part of. Exactly. And that, and, that, and that's the reason why, it's, you know, we need to be focused on what, what God wants us mm -hmm. to do right there. Another one I said, it's and it's for the, those who are lost, you know, for those who are lost, they could choose to do good, but they don't, you know, and they, and they could choose to, and, and it's because they don't choose to do good, they lose Christ, mm -hmm. you know, and because that's when you choose to do good, you you choose to do, you choose Christ. That's choosing good because He's the only one that's good, you know. So you will always remain poor in spirit, and you'll always have those poor in spirit around you because if you don't have Christ, you're you, you're you're not going to have God's spirit with you because mm -hmm. He said He's not always going to strive; He's going to take His spirit from you. So you'll you'll be poor, you will be without Christ, and you'll. You'll just be poor always. You'll always have the poor around you. You'll always be cast out with mm -hmm. the poor mm -hmm. in spirit because they don't have no none of his spirit has been taken away. Well, that's right. I don't know if I said that right. Well, Maybe that's still a word. Not right. to have Jesus is to be poor in spirit. If you go back to Matthew chapter 5 where the Sermon on the Mount is and uh, you look at how Jesus begins uh, that sermon, he goes through what we call the Beatitudes. Yes. One of them is blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And when you look at that, is blessed are those who recognize they are bankrupt spiritually. Yes. They are empty spiritually. Yes. And they're blessed because when they realize that, they can turn to Jesus. Exactly. So that's where the blessedness comes into those who are poor in spirit. So, and so we will always have those poor in spirit. We'll always have those who need Jesus, don't know Jesus, or who have rejected Jesus. That's right. That is true. I, I would go right along with what you're saying. Jesus told Judas, look, she's kept this perfume. She has not sold it for a purpose. Yes. You know, it's for a purpose. Um, it, it's really to anoint and worship me. There's a purpose in this. Yes. And, and the reality is philanthropy is good, but without intent to worship Jesus, philanthropy has no real meaning yeah. eternally. There are a lot of people involved in philanthropy, and they feel good about it, and it does help people. But philanthropy with no intent to honor Jesus and worship him is is of no lasting value. Amen. And so she had saved this costly oil and perfume for an act of worship. Yes, it could have used, been used for philanthropy, but that was not its intent. Mm. 
His intent was something different. And what she did, I don't think she even realized the deeper meaning. When she anointed Jesus' body, I don't think she even realized the symbolism. Because he said there, in, he said, let her alone, she has kept this for the day of my burial. Yes. Now, he wasn't being buried on that day. No. It was a foreshadowing. It was a prediction. Yeah. It was kind of like a prophecy. It was, it was her indicating this is what will be done. That's right. And so she didn't even realize the deeper meaning, I don't believe. Here she is worshiping Jesus, and it takes on a deeper meaning, a symbolism she That's didn't right. even recognize. That's right. And Jesus is saying, look, symbolically what she is doing will happen to me. He didn't say the names, but he could have said, when Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus remove me from the cross, they will do this to my body as they place it in a, in a borrowed tomb. Mm. And so it's, there's a lot of symbolism in it. Yes, there is. And the reality is they weren't always going to have Jesus with them in a physical presence. That's right. Right here, the, the, he was there in a physical presence. Take time to anoint me, worship me, be with me in physical presence while you can. Because I'm about to depart. He hasn't really revealed to them everything yet right? that's fixing to happen. This is, he's kind of going into it right here. Yeah. Right here. This well, is right. He's told them up to this point, he's let it be known that he's going to be killed. He's even talked about crucifixion. But they don't know every well, they, detail. They, they don't know the timing. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, um, in yeah. fact, even after his resurrection, they're still going to come to him and say, okay, now are you setting up your kingdom? They still, after the resurrection, don't grasp the that's full right. plan. That's in right. fact, we're going to read here in just a minute, if we, if we get there, we're going to read that the disciples didn't piece all this together. So, in fact, let me pick up and read a little bit further, see if we can get there. Uh, picking up of verse 9. Now, a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. So here we go. We, we, we see that um, large crowds of Jewish people came. They're probably pilgrims that have come for Passover. Remember, there's people are, are filling Jerusalem. It's swelling with people coming for the Passover. Word is spread. Jesus is back at Bethany with Lazarus, the guy he raised from the dead. So people start to come and see. Yeah. We want to see this for ourselves. And they come to see, they said, not just to see Jesus, but to see Lazarus. What, that reveals the intent of their heart. They weren't seeking Jesus. They were seeking the thrill of what Jesus had done. Mm -hmm. They weren't seeking Jesus in sincere faith. They wanted to see a miraculous work. They wanted to thrill. Uh, they weren't they weren't really against Jesus, but they weren't really for Jesus. They were just curious about this guy who could do miracles. Yeah. And so they're showing up to see. They wanted to see the miracle Lazarus along with the miracle worker Jesus. That's right. But they weren't seeking Jesus by faith. Um, but what happens is upon the witness of his messianic power, once they witnessed Lazarus actually there and know he's resurrected, many of them did come to believe in Jesus. That's right. So they didn't come seeking Jesus in faith, yet when confronted with the reality of Jesus and his power and the undeniable evidence that Jesus had risen Lazarus from the dead, and there he is, they had no option. They came to faith. They believed in Jesus. That's right. Now, what happened, though, was when they came to believe in Jesus, that got the religious leaders all riled up again. <laughs> so now they're plotting not just to kill Jesus, but now to kill Lazarus as well. Oh, yeah. It started out, if you remember in the previous chapter, Caiaphas, the high priest, said it's, it's good for one man to die for the sake of the nation, talking about Jesus. Well, now their plot's widened. 
<laughs> it's good if Jesus dies. Oh, and we need to kill Lazarus too. Yeah. Um, because Lazarus was irrefutable evidence of the deity of Christ. That's right. They couldn't refute the evidence, so they wanted to kill the evidence. And so we find out here, now Lazarus is under the gun. They're going to be out after him, wanting to kill him too. All because people are coming to faith in Jesus. Mm. So we pick up with the next day, chapter 12. The next, I mean, excuse me, verse 12. Uh, the next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, setting on a, colt, a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Mm. So the, the day after the meal in Bethany and all that happened there, he actually makes his way to Jerusalem. Um, now, we call this the triumphal entry. That's what history has called this, where Jesus enters Jerusalem the week he's going to be crucified. He comes into the praises of all the people. We see here people coming out of the city to greet him. Yeah. You got all those who had gone to Bethany who are excited following him. There's masses of people coming. And they're all around. And so the crowds come out. They cut palm branches. Um, they, the, he enters in the city with public accolades of him being the king of Israel, being called uh, Messiah and son of David and so on, the, the son of God. Um, and it's something to see because the Jewish authorities had said, we want him dead. If you know where he's at, if you, if you know where he's at tell us. Now he's openly marching into the city, people worshiping him everywhere. He's in the wide open, and they can't touch him. <laughs> well, they can't, they can't touch him. They can't touch him. <laughs> and so Jesus, though, I believe, entered Jerusalem at this time because he knew God's timetable, and he knew it was time for God's redemptive plan to culminate on the cross. And so by entering Jerusalem in such a public manner to the praises of all the people, it was going to force the hand of those Pharisees, Sadducees, the chief priest, the, the Sanhedrin. He was forcing their hand in That's this. Right. And so he's going to force them to take action that is going to culminate in his death because, according to God's timetable, it's time for that to happen. That's right. And so that's what we see happening. Now, they, they cut palm branches and they wave them around. This was a tradition that started during the intertestamental periods, the time between Old Testament and New Testament. Um, it became a symbol of victory and celebration when they would do that. And they're shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Hosanna is a Hebrew word. The transliteration means, save now, I pray, O Lord. So the people are shouting, save us now. We're praying to you, O Lord. Here's our Messiah. Here's our Savior. They're proclaiming Jesus as the Savior. This was part of what was called the Haliel Psalms. They used it in all their festivals. The Haliel Psalms were used at Passover. It was a part of the Psalms they would sing, acknowledging the, the grace of God, the power of God, the love of God. And here they're proclaiming Jesus as Messiah. They're proclaiming him as the one who's come in the name of the Lord. They're declaring him 
the king of Israel here. Yes. In the Synoptic Gospels, they, we read how they call him the son of David. Yes. I mean, he is being declared Messiah, king. All the people shouting it. By the end of the week, they'll be yelling, crucify him, crucify him. You think it's some of the Romans could have been yelling this out as well? Because that would have been something serious against Caesar, now, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's interesting to think about. That would have been treason, really. I mean, big so, time. <laughs> I, believe, I believe some of the Romans came to faith because you see at the cross the centurion saying, truly, yeah. this was the Son of God. You, I believe there were those who came to faith. It might have been more. I mean, I, I think this, the Pharisees are seeing this. They're seeing Romans down there joining in. We can't even turn. <laughs> We can't say nothing about this. Well, it's something to see. It's something. And Jesus accepted this praise fully. But he had a right to accept it. That's because right. he is the Messiah. He, he is. is the king. Yeah. Um, but in, in Luke 19, verses 41 through 44, you get a little glimpse into the heart of Jesus. Because there, in the midst of all this, he's weeping over Jerusalem because of their unbelief. Mm. He can see that this mm. is not sincere faith. That's and right. it, it saddens him to know these people are not people of genuine faith. Mm. So he, we read here he mounted a donkey coat. Now, in the Synoptic Gospels, we know how he got that coat. We know the story of how he sent two disciples into town, get the coat and bring it back and all that. Yes. He did this to fulfill a prophecy. Right there in verse 15, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey coat. That's from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. That was a prophecy spoken about the Messiah. He's fulfilling the prophecy here. And it's very significant prophecy because for a king to ride in on a donkey coat was a king to ride in for peace. Yeah. A king riding a donkey he came into your city as a peaceful king. A king who came on a war horse came to conquer you. That's right. Jesus came riding in on a donkey as the prince of peace. That's what he's doing here. One day, Jesus returns riding on a great white horse, a war horse. A war horse. Not coming as the prince of peace, but as a conquering king. In Revelation 19.11, you read that. Yes. So here Jesus rides into Jerusalem to bring peace, peace between man and God through his sacrificial death. Revelation 19.11 reveals he will come again, wielding the sword out of his mouth, his word, That's and right. will subdue and conquer all who oppose him. He will forcefully take his position as rightful That's king right. over all that there is. And put all his enemies under his feet. That's right. That's right. Meaning all will bow. Before that's, that's right. I'll take that. That means all mm -hmm. will bow. Enemies underneath his feet. Well, that's and Philippians tells us that every knee will bow. I mean, it's clear. Yeah. It's clear. So let's just finish out this triumphal entry part, and we're gonna we're gonna put a period in it and finish the rest of it next week. We read here in verse sixteen, the disciples didn't grasp what was happening until later. It says, when he was glorified, they remembered this happening, and it was like, oh, we remember that. And we remember those words, and we remember what happened, and it started to make sense. After he's glorified means after he ascends. Yes. So he dies on the cross, he's put in the tomb, he's resurrected, he meets with his disciples, he's seen by over 500 people, he ascends up into heaven, and then they realize, oh, wait a minute, it's making sense. But there's one important thing to happen. When he ascended, another aspect of the person of God came down. That's right, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit indwelled them, then it made sense. That's right. They could piece it together. The same Holy Spirit that indwells us, when we come to faith, the Holy Spirit indwelled them, and it began to make sense. They could piece it all together and understand. That's how we have understanding. That's right. God's Spirit indwelling us and giving us understanding. Yes. 
And so uh, the crowd's praise here, it, it, it was fertilized by the witness of those who saw Lazarus, the resurrected one, and it, it just was boisterous and it upset the religious leaders. And um, golly, they turned on themselves and they just started saying, you've not accomplished anything. You haven't done anything right. Look at this. We're not, we're not doing anything that's working against this man. And they said, the whole world's going after him. That's right. And they're speaking truth because indeed Jesus was going to welcome the whole world to come unto him. That's right. So they were speaking truth and didn't know it. That's right. But I tell you what, we need to probably stop right there and we'll pick up next week with verse 20. Amen. You have been listening to Along the Narrow Way, hosted by Pastor Will Russell and co-hosted by Jimmy Miller. If you haven't done so, subscribe to the podcast so you can get updates on new episodes. Thank you for listening, and remember to stay faithful to walk along the narrow way with Jesus.